Welcome to Adding Fuel to the Hire, a podcast for hiring managers and job seekers across all types of dealerships. With over 20 years collective recruitment experience, Rowan, Tony and Phil draw upon their knowledge to help you navigate through the recruitment and job hunt process. For more information, head to our website, addingfueltothehire.com. Hello and welcome to another episode of Adding Fuel to the Hire. I am your host this week, Tony, and with me today is Phil. Phil, how are you? Good. How are you going? I'm very well, thank you. This week, we're going to be discussing uh, the interview process and nailing that or how to nail that, yep. but uh, more specifically from the employer's perspective. Correct. So we've uh, we've got a separate episode on uh, the same topic, but from the candidate's perspective, yep. but today is going to be just on the employer's perspective. So I suppose... Starting off, it's important to understand why um, getting this right is so vital to your success as yep. a company. Yep. Um, and um, I suppose many people, historically speaking, have always seen the interview as the the chance for a candidate to impress an employer. Yeah. Um, whereas that's been kind of flipped on its head a lot now um, with you know lower uh, unemployment rates and that kind of thing. Yeah. It's actually just as important for an employer to make an impression on the candidate. Yeah. Um, they might be going for three different roles, mm. um, particularly if they're a, a really good candidate. They might be going for three different roles yep. um, with three different of your, three different competitors. Yeah. And, uh, you know, it's your opportunity to, uh, I suppose, sell your business and give them a really good first impression. Correct. Um, and regardless of they might not be going for multiple roles, they might just be going for your single role, but you have to – sell them or I suppose uh, impress them enough and show that your company has more to offer than their current company. That's right. So regardless of whether they're you know on the market actively looking or they're happily employed, you're going to be selling your company to them. That's right. Yeah. And look, a lot of candidates these days really accept jobs purely based on gut feel. Mm. Um, you know, they might be offered a, a better package elsewhere, but they might just get that really good feeling because of your interview. Yeah. You know, they just think we really clicked, you know, they showed me around the premises, you know, I got to see everything. Um, they introduced me to everyone during my interview. You know, I got to have a bit of a walk around. I just got that good feeling that, you know, this was going to work really, really, really well. Um, so because of that, that, um, that particularly that first interview is really, really important. Yeah, exactly right. So um, we're going to go through a couple of key points. There's so many different factors through the interview process that we can't cover off all in a 20-minute episode, but um, we'll go through what we deem to be uh, or we you know, see that uh, as the most important ones. Yeah. Um, and then, uh, yeah, at the end, if you do have any other questions or, or you think there's other topics, let us know, but um, we'll hopefully try and cover off on most of them. Um, but yeah, I suppose first and foremost, we've touched on a couple of other episodes, but consistency yeah. is absolutely paramount. Um, that means same interviewers, same questions, um, you know, just everything that you can control is the same. Yeah. Um, do it as the same. It's like a science experiment. You're trying to pin these uh, different people up against each other. And so you want uh, a consistent variable to, uh, to I suppose, yeah. earmark them against and so you can make a, an informed decision. Um, you know, having different interviewers, having different questions, it makes the process more subjective than it already is. Yep. Um, as long as we're dealing with humans, it's always going to be subjective. But as ma- making it as objective as it can be is the key. Um, so if you know that you need three people to give the tick of approval for this candidate, make sure all three of those people are in that interview, first interview, yep. for all the people that you Correct. interview. 
um, and yeah, keeping the same questions. So having a formalized interview process that you follow, that's not to say it has to be very regimented and you have to go through the process in this exact order, but you want to have, you know, five to 10 questions, whatever they are, um, and and make sure that you're ticking them off with every single person so that if one candidate, you know, a good example, if one candidate gets a question that really shows, um, oh, good example, if you put it into say a parts manager's role, Mm -hmm. um, you know, you don't have a template, you're not following a particular process, you might ask one candidate, um, you know, their experience on moving dead stock because that's yeah. something that you've got going in your dealership at the time. Um, they answer it and you go, great. You know, they've got heaps of experience, we're confident. That's probably the biggest challenge we've got as a parts department is all our dead stock at the moment. Yeah. But you don't follow the same process. The next three people you interview don't get asked that question about dead stock. Yeah. So then when you go to sit down and compare them all, the very first person you ask that to, you're thinking, oh, they're great. They've moved dead stock before. They've got, you know, yeah. experience doing it. You haven't asked the next three, so you don't actually know. Yeah, no, that's right. And so you're suddenly already endeared to that first candidate because you know that they can do it, but you don't actually know if the other three can, and they could do it right. just as good or, or have better experience with it. So you need to keep consistent. Otherwise, you can't really compare apples to apples. You're comparing apples to oranges. That's right. That's right. And that's where it really pays off to try and have make the interview more of a conversation um, with um, a time dedicated to those non-negotiables in case they haven't come up yet. Yeah. So um, what I like to do is I usually start off with, um, you know, general details. You know, we're just confirming this is where you're working just stuff to get them talking, get them warmed up yeah. and then just get a bit of, bit of an idea of their experience. What have they been up to? What have their roles been like? What's their day to day looked like? All that sort of stuff. And then um, go through the role um, at the employer. This is what it would look like. This is what it would, would look like for you. This is what your day to day would look like here. Ideally you would want this person to do this. And at that point I'd probably start trying to move into those questions, you know, yeah. uh, by the way, you know, just um, to give you a bit of an idea, we've got so and so much dead stock um, have you got any experience with that? Or, you know, I know you've mentioned you've got some experience with that. How would you manage that? Yep. So um, trying to put a dedicated time to um, those sort of questions in your interview can be really, really good yep. without trying to make it a conversation, without trying to make it an interrogation. Yeah, so, that that's a really important point. Um, and I'm glad you brought that up. It, it's just, yeah, just because you've got the five or 10 questions or points written down doesn't mean you have to tick them off in that exact order. No, that's right. You might sit there and go, oh, They've covered that off. They've covered that off. They've covered that off. Oh, we've got a couple of questions we'd like to ask you. Um, do you mind if we go through them? And then you yep. go through your final three questions that didn't come up organically. That's right. That's right. Um, and look, if, if if that is the case, just tell, tell the candidate, look, we're going to have to ask these and these questions, you know, just so you're aware, you know, we'll probably have a more or less a, a casual conversation. But if we don't get through those, we'll, we'll just make sure we tick those off before the end. Um, I've been in an interview before where they said, look, it's just going to be a casual chat, you know. We're just going to have a, a a bit bit of a talk. We just want to get to know you more and what you're all about and that sort of thing. And I said, "Yep, okay, great, no worries, sounds good." And then um, you start talking to them, and they pull out like an actual questionnaire. Yep. And it was question one. And I asked you the question, and I answered. Okay, wrote down the notes. Uh, question two, and it was like that for forty minutes. And yep. That was it. That was really it. That was the whole interview. Um, so. 
That wasn't very enjoyable. <laughs> that increases anxiety, increases oh, stress. It, yeah. it, it's not a true indicator of how people perform no, their job. And not at all. Yeah, before you know it, you're uh, you're not going to get the right candidate no, based on that. You're that's right. Get whoever performs better in that situation. And who, whoever happens to have the better answer to yeah. those questions on that questionnaire on that particular day. Yeah. That's all you're getting. Yep, exactly right. So you, let's say you, you've got your questions or even just your key points that you want to cover off that are consistent for everyone. Um there are a couple of uh, you know particular questions that uh, you want to ask in an interview of everyone, um, and you know there's the typical boring questions that everyone would know and, and ask in an interview. But um, a, a really important thing to do is to mix these up and, and to add a little bit of life into it. Uh, yeah, thinking outside the box and thinking laterally can. Uh, I suppose breed more personality into your interviews, and you're going to get a lot more out of people um, because you're going to, you know, you're going to almost throw them off the guard um, and get a more raw, personal answer because it is a little bit left field. Yeah. Um, your your question. So, a couple of examples that we've come across in our time um, is, uh, especially for management positions, is uh, what's your ninety day plan if you get the job? Yeah. Um, that is an awesome question to ask yeah. because if they don't have a plan. They haven't researched. They haven't come into it thinking. If they can answer that question, um, you know, then that shows that they've researched the company. They understand. They've been listening into the in, in the interview. Um, Correct. And you know, you can have a level of confidence that their plan is on the same level as what you're thinking, or vice versa, um, and go from there. So, um, it, I suppose that's important though to ask that question at the end of the interview. Yeah. Um, you know, if you tell them what's your plan at the start and they don't know anything about the business or what the challenges are or the opportunities, yeah, then they're not, not going to answer it. You're not going to find out much no. about it. <laughs> but, um, yeah, just, you know, reading the room, understanding the conversation and asking that question can be a really, uh, really yeah. easy uh, way to uh, to sort the, the high performers out from the low performers. That's right, yeah. Yeah, another good one of those is um, what do you think would your previous boss change about you? Which um, is a good substitute for what's your biggest weakness. Yes, and... All candidates, please do not say, I work too hard. <laughs> it is not the right answer. No, it is not. <laughs> and this is a really good example of if you ask what's your biggest weakness, everyone that's, uh, I suppose, done a little bit of research would expect this to come. Yeah. And they will have a preconceived answer. Yeah. And it won't be organic. Yeah. If you throw them off with the what would your previous boss change about you, yeah. it's essentially the same question. Mm. But well, it's the same answer almost. It's the same answer, but it puts it in a different light. So you come. It's technically it's a it's the same question that leads you to a different answer. Yeah. Because it puts the same question into a different light. Yep. And um, you get you thrown know, off, and you're like, oh, you go, oh, I have well, to actually think about this now. This guy would have probably changed this and this and this about me. Yep. Um, plus, it actually gives you the opportunity to think back. What was actually my challenge in my last role? Um, you know, what did I find most challenging? And you can find an answer from there. You know, um, it doesn't need to be something personal. Um, you know, it might just be, well, for example, my last role, I really struggled with this, you know, and my boss would probably change that I'd be better better at this by doing so and so and so or changing in this sort of way. Yeah. Um, I suppose another trick that uh, I've heard about companies doing, which I think is just the smartest, best thing I've ever seen. Yeah. Um, if you're an automotive dealership or even a truck dealership, and you've got people, uh, uh, I suppose, applying for a sales-based role, mm -hmm. start the interview, build some rapport, and then say, right, we're going to go out and we're going to get in the car and you're going to drive me to get a cup of coffee. Right. And so they'll be thrown off immediately. See, I'm I not sure about that because what's the right answer? 
So I don't know. No, there is no right answer. Like I mean, you literally right. invite them into your car for a cup of coffee. Right. So what you're then doing is you're testing their ability to hold a conversation and answer questions and think on their feet whilst driving a vehicle. Right. Or even sitting in the passenger seat next to you driving the vehicle. Right. Because as a salesperson, there's going to be a lot of opportunities for yeah. them sitting in a car, gotcha. talking to prospective clients or prospective buyers about the vehicle. Yeah. And so it might sound crazy, but there are people that will sit in a room and they will interview really well, but put them behind the wheel of a car and they cannot multitask. Yeah. And I'm not encouraging anyone out there to drive unsafely and to uh, to crash their cars, but yeah. it's the reality that a lot of sales <laughs> consultants will be driving and trying to sell at the same time. Yeah. it's Even if it's phone calls, you yeah. know, um, following up with customers and that sort of thing. So. Um, I, I know quite a few salespeople who've just lived far away from their job yep. and they just said, oh, it's actually not too bad because for the hour and a half that I sit in the car, I do calls. Yeah, exactly. So, um, yeah, if you are a dealership out there that's selling trucks or, or cars or um, I suppose you could even do it for earth medium equipment to some capacity is uh, get them out into the uh, yeah. into the stuff that they're going to be selling. Yeah. And uh, and see how they go. You know, you could even do it with, uh, with ag if they're going to be selling big, uh, you know, uh, I suppose headers and, and larger tractors where you can actually fit yeah. two people in the cab, get them in the cab and, uh, and see how they perform in those closed in tight spaces. Some people don't like, you know, physical contact and how close it all can be. So throw them in there because that's going to be the situation yeah. that they're selling in more often. But yeah, um, yeah it, it's a little trick that I heard about a couple of years ago. It's very common in automotive industry. So it'll throw, it, I know it would throw me off. I'll, I'd be like, uh, is this a trick question or do I, am I meant to say no? Or? Yep. And, and, and <laughs> everything you get from that candidate from there on out is going to be organic. Yeah. Because what they thought the yeah. interview was going to be and their preparation has just gone out the window. Yeah. <laughs> They're now thinking, right, well, and, and that's what it's going to be. It's going to be selling cars while sitting in the car. So yeah. let's, uh, let's try and figure that out. Um, Another really key important point, uh, which is often overlooked and it's really difficult and uh, probably overlooked just because of the awkwardness of the conversation, mm-hmm. it's discussing salary in an interview. Yeah. Um, you should never, as an employer, walk away, um, and it goes for candidates as well, never walk away unsure what the salary is. Yep. Um, from your employer's perspective, the reason being is obvious. You don't want to, uh, you know, if you're paying $60,000 for a role and the candidate's wanting $100,000 for the role or is on $95,000 for the role, yeah, they're never going to take it. Yeah. So, you know, how much of your time or your company's time do you want to waste before you realize that, uh, you know, it's just never going to work out? So yeah. you have to hit that nail on the head as early throughout the process as possible. Yeah. Um, so it's one of those things we talk about the courtship phase of uh, recruitment. You yeah. don't want to bring that topic up you know, you don't want to pick up the phone, get someone's resume, pick it up and go, hey, we're paying 60K. Are you okay with that? <laughs> um, it's just going to rub people up the wrong way. Yeah. So you want to build that rapport first, um, you know, build that relationship and then yeah. bring it up throughout the, the later stages of the interview. That's right. Um, Who do you think should uh, take the first step when it comes to talking about salary? Because it's one of those things people like to dance around a little bit. Yeah, I think as a general rule, the owner should be on the employer. Um, but I'm also a huge advocate for if the employer doesn't tell you, then if you're a candidate, you should definitely ask. You you need to ask. Um, But I think as a general rule, it should be on the employer to be on the front foot um, and say something. And I think the correct wording is our company has budgeted for this position, a salary package of X. How does that fit in with what you're looking for? Yeah. 
Um, because it's really important when you do do it from an employer's perspective, you're not just saying, right, it's 60K, take it or leave it. Yeah. Um, you know, that's all we think you're worth. Because if that person is on 70K um, and they're great and they're clearly going to bring more than $10,000 extra value than the next best person, mm. then you want that wiggle room to negotiate. Yeah. So you want to do it in a way of, you know, we've budgeted 60K for it. That's what head office has given us, uh, you know, the okay for at this stage. How does that fit in with what you're looking yeah. for? And that'll generally open up to a discussion of what they're currently on, what they're looking for. Yeah. Um, and it'll be a lot more two-way street and, and give you both wiggle room Correct. if things yeah. don't go to plan. Yeah. Um, I think always try and give a range rather than a single figure. Yeah. Um, it gives you wiggle room to move um, within that range. The candidate will probably just hear the higher number, um, but it will keep them more in, more interested than just the lower number. Yeah. Um, the other thing I would uh, just want to point out is say, you know, you say, okay, so we're looking at around a salary of $70,000 to $80,000. Um, you know, what's your expectations like? What are you really looking for? And they say, oh, okay, well, I'm actually on 95. You know, I'm kind of looking to make that step to the, the six-figure salary to the 100. Um, you know, responding to that can be hard sometimes. Yeah. Um, so saying something along the lines of, okay, well, look, you know, obviously this is our uh, our upper end at the moment, um, but, you know, we don't want the salary to be a deal breaker. You know, it, maybe we could look at doing something else. We've got a spare vehicle we could throw in there yeah. um, or something else to, to, you know, continue to keep that candidate keen and interested. Um, if you're confident, you can probably make the deal a little sweeter for, for them if it uh, if it needs be. Yeah, that's it. Sometimes there's just nothing you can do. And yeah. the salary is just not going to match. But at least you can get that done in a way that says, well, you know, that's fine if you're on that much. We physically can't afford it. Um, there's no wiggle room, you know, we're sorry, but leave it in a way that, you know, leaves a, a good taste in their mouth. Yeah. It's nothing personal. And at least in the future, if a role does come up that does suit their salary expectations, then, hey, it could uh, tick the boxes and, and things line up. That's right. But um, it, it's an important question to ask. And, you know, there's so many reasons why you would want to ask it, but for the very least, you should be doing it for market research. Yeah. Um, you know, if you're interviewing every service advisor and asking them what they're currently, well, not asking what they're currently on, but telling them, you know, this is what we're paying, where does that fit for you? Mm. And you're getting 90% of the time them turn around and go, oh, well, I'm on more now, so mm. I didn't think it would be that low. Well, then that's really good evidence as a hiring manager to go back to your boss and say, you know, we're 10K under, under industry average here. Yeah. I've interviewed seven people this week and they've all said the same thing. Um, I've had a great example of a, a client recently that did the exact same thing. They uh, were interviewing people, seven, eight people in a row all said, this is way below what I'm getting paid. Yeah. He went back to the DP, told him, and the pay rate got lifted up by $5 an hour because they hadn't touched it in 10 years. Yeah. And uh, they realized just by talking to people about salary, yeah. they were so far out Correct. of the market. Yeah. Plus it might actually save you from having to replace current employees because you can say, yeah. oh, wow, we're actually really paying quite low. Um, you know, maybe we should do a big salary review for the department, talk to everyone, how they're feeling about everything. And, you know, let's let, let's see if we can bump up everyone's salary a little bit um, just to, to stop anyone from leaving. Yeah, it's a good point because if you've got uh, candidates coming in telling you that they're on X amount and mm. they're working for your competitors, well, you could probably uh, reasonably expect that your competitors <laughs> will uh, start looking more uh, enticing towards your current employers, Correct. employees. Um, That's right. Yeah, so it, it's important. Imperative, obviously, for trying to get the candidate over the line. But, yeah, for anything, it's just uh, good market research and helps you keep your staff. But, um, yeah, other than that, it just prevents a lot of time wasting. Yeah. If, it, if it isn't going to match, it. then, uh, you know. It's, it's not going to match. Like, it's just. 
It's just the way it is. Don't go down the path of reference checking, psychometric assessment. And we've seen so many examples where you, you've got a candidate, it's all the way to the end of the process. And, uh, you know, we've been given a rough salary guide at the start to work off and we, we know the candidates are within that. Um, but there's so many variables throughout the process that can dictate and change the salary that they want. Mm. And they get right to the end of the process and you know the offer's about to come and you ask them, oh, have you talked about salary? And they said, no, we'll just have to see what they send through. Yeah. And the salary comes through and it's 20, 30K out. Yeah. And, you know, they've just, both parties have just dedicated almost two or three weeks to this process. Correct. And it's for nothing. Yeah. And if you tell them at the start, look, this is the range, you know, there's a vehicle involved, uh, et cetera, et cetera, then the offer comes through and it's 15, 20% less than the range you were, you'd originally given and there's no vehicle suddenly, they're not going to take the job. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and that probably raises a good point that I, I, uh, I want to bring up is if you do give a range, if your range is 60 to 70, you have to be willing to pay 70 or offer 70 to someone. Yeah that ticks all the boxes. Like if you're a, I don't know, if you're a construction dealer with a specific, specific uh, you know, brand and someone comes in and they've got eight, nine years experience with your competitor, um, you know, they just tick all the boxes. There's not a single negative thing you could say about them other than the fact that they haven't got your brand experience, mm -hmm. but that's obviously because you're the only one that distributes that product. Mm -hmm. Then you have to be willing to go to the upper end of the scale if you've yeah. given them that scale yeah. because they're thinking, well, what else am I missing? Yeah. So if you then offer them the lower end of the scale, which implies that they haven't ticked all the boxes, mm. well, they're going to wonder what boxes they haven't ticked. Yeah. And if the only box is that they haven't got your brand experience, but you're the only distributor of that brand, yeah. well, that's an impossible box to tick. Yeah. It's the old tale of, you know, there's the, the range is 70 to 80. The candidate applies thinking 80. The employer puts the job out thinking 70. Yeah. You know, and so they hopefully will meet somewhere in the middle. Um, but, Sometimes it doesn't work. Yeah. So, you, yeah, you just, if you're going to go range, you, the range needs to be real. Yeah. And it needs to not just be – because I know there's a lot of companies out there will just use the range to make the uh, – you know, if it's going to be 60K, they'll put 60 to 70 to make it look more enticing. To get people in who usually look at 70 but then be like, oh, but, you know, I've, I've interviewed with them. Everything seems really good. You know, they've told me all about the opportunities and stuff, so oh, I think I'll take the pay cut. Yeah. I think I'll take the cut. Yeah, and, and that will not work out in the long run. And it will actually, even if they take the job, it will uh, cost more money and more time and effort and waste more time and effort uh, in the long run than anything else. Correct. So, um, yeah, stick to what the actual range is. And, uh, yeah, if there is a range, put it in there, but uh, make sure that you're That's right. to pay it. That's right. Um, otherwise, I think that just about covers everything. As I said, there's a lot of different subtopics we could talk about during uh, during such a topic like this. So if you do have any thoughts, any questions, tips, et cetera, for different uh, topics or subtopics on this one, please shoot them through. There's a, a contact information in the show notes below. But otherwise, we'll be back again next week with another episode. And uh, thank you for listening. See you next time. Thank you for listening to another episode of Adding Fuel to the Hire. If you have any questions or you'd like to hear us talk about a particular topic, why not send us an email at podcast at addingfueltothehire.com. If you like what we do and would like to support our podcast, please leave a review on your podcasting app of choice. For further information, please visit our website, addingfueltothehire.com.